Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, we are jumping into the book of Acts today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or uh, in any of your devices and apps to Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at the first chapter. And I think maybe most weeks we'll try to tackle a chapter at a time. We'll see how that goes. If we need to spend more time in a chapter, we'll slow down for a couple of weeks. You know, the past few weeks we had been in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 looking at the two times in the Gospels that Jesus said the word church and what he said about his church, uh, the two times that he mentioned the church during his ministry on earth. And one of the main statements there in Matthew 16 was where he said, I will build my church. And we could probably stay in Matthew 16 and 18 for another 10 weeks and keep digging into the things that he said to us about his church. But I thought that it just fit really well and made a lot of sense to go from this is what Jesus said in advance, you know, before the church is born, before the church exists, while he's still on earth, um, about his church and that he's going to build his church, and then to jump into Acts when that actually happens, when he does what he said he would do and what it looks like for the church to be born and for Jesus to start building his church uh, the way that he talked about. And so that's why we're going to spend probably a few months here walking through Acts a chapter at a time, and we'll just see how far into that God takes us and what the pace of that is, but we're going to start in chapter 1 today. And so I'm going to pray for us right now, and I'm going to ask you to be praying with me that this wouldn't just be a time of you know, human interaction and human dialogue, that it wouldn't be just a time of human study, that you wouldn't walk away with just a little more information in your head about Acts chapter 1 or about the Bible in general or about the church in general, but that God would do something deeper than that, something more powerful than that, that on a, a deep spiritual level in our hearts that God himself would be teaching us from his word by his spirit as only he can this morning so that we would just pray a prayer of dependence and faith, asking him to do that right now and then acknowledging that he's the only one that can do that. So will you pray that with me right now? Father, thank you for this time that we can gather as your people and we can read from your word, and we ask that right now as we do that, that you will teach us by your spirit, that you will do the type of spiritual work in our hearts that only you can do, that you will be building your church the way that you have promised. So Father, please, right now, open us up to the truth of your word. Open the truth of your word up to us, and help us to see you more, to know you more, to love you more, to trust you more. Build our lives and build this church on the truth of who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, as I read Acts chapter 1, I want you to be listening primarily for the answer to this question. What does this teach us about God? That we would know that God is the starting place for everything in our lives, but especially that anything that we're going to know about the church being born, about what the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to look like, that it would start by, this is who God is. This is his church. He's the one doing it. He's the one calling his people to himself and calling us to follow him and telling us what that should look like. And so we have to know who he is if we're going to be his church. And so listen for that first and foremost. What's this teach us about God? And then secondarily, if that's true about God, What's God teaching us about us? What does it look like when we're in right relationship with God? What's it look like when we're far away from God? And then also be sensitive to what's God saying to your heart? What's he exposing in your heart today? How's he challenging us? How's he correcting us? How's he teaching us? How's he comforting us? How's he encouraging us? How's he pushing us forward? Just the work that he would want to do based on these truths, the work that he would want to do in our hearts because of who he is. So Acts 1, starting in verse 1, I'll read straight through the first chapter, and then we'll spend some time uh, sharing. Here's what God's saying to us, and then I do have a few thoughts that have really jumped out to me this week, but that's where we're headed. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akadelma, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, that's Acts chapter 1. What jumps out to you there? What's that teach us about God? Who God is, how he works, his nature, his character, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is the only one who knows what will happen and when it will happen. The apostles want to ask Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And his answer there is, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Right? That, that's God's business. God knows these things, and you can trust him with that. What else stands out to you? All right, Jesus is coming back the same way he ascended into heaven. You know, right here, Many proofs that he was alive, presented himself alive to them. You've got these, this group of people who saw Jesus 
with their own eyes, right? resurrected once he was back alive. And don't forget who these people were. These are the people that when Jesus was arrested, they all ran like cowards and hid because they were so afraid of what was going on. One of them, like with his own mouth three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I'm not his follower, I don't know him. It's not like they, even before his death, it's not like they were just so filled with this bold, courageous faith that they're like, we're going to believe in Jesus no matter what. They all abandoned him, they all deserted him. That's who they were at first. But Jesus is resurrected. He appears to them over and over for the course of 40 days. And then, and there's the appearing to them for 40 days. And then when he ascends into heaven, he was lifted up until a cloud passes in front of him. They can't see him anymore where he's going. They're still watching for him, gazing into heaven. And these angels appear and says, Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the reason I started with, hey, remember who they were before Jesus died, is that as we read the book of Acts here, what you're going to see is that these exact same men who were such cowards before Jesus' death, who abandoned him, deserted him, would not stand by him, did not want to face what he was facing, those same men, something has happened from that moment until the book of Acts happens, that they are so transformed, they are so changed, they are so different, that now every single one of them are willing to be thrown in prison, willing to be beaten, willing to be killed for this truth that they keep declaring. Jesus is alive, and he's coming back someday. And just realize, they would have known whether that was true or not. Right? Either they really did see him or they didn't see him. And I'm just going to suggest to you, if they had not seen him alive in such a way that convinced them that it really was true, there's no way they're going to die for something that they know is not true. There's no way. Because they, they weren't willing to die for Jesus when he was still alive here on earth. But something so drastic and so radical and so world-changing happened, and they saw it firsthand that they're saying, we will stake our lives on this truth. Jesus really is alive, and Jesus really has ascended into heaven as the Son of God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the right hand of God the Father. And someday he's coming back, and that's all that matters now. That changes everything. That changes the way we will live, and that changes the way we will die. It is, it's the best evidence you'll ever have. Like the people who were there and saw it were completely transformed and willing to die for the things that they're saying are true. And now they're written down in this book for us that we would know. Like this is the type of convincing proof that God has offered us saying, believe this, believe me, not, not blind faith, not leap into the dark. God's saying, believe me because of what I've done. Believe me because I've shown you that it's true. And then live your life, live your life like Jesus is really coming back. That day is coming, and if that's coming, it changes everything that does matter now and everything that doesn't matter now. Jesus is coming back the same way he ascended into heaven. What else? Other truths about God that you see? The Holy Spirit... indwells and empowers people. And I put an ellipsis there because I was going to circle back around this later. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers people for what? Anybody? Like bonus right here. You can tag on to this truth. For evangelism was the word thrown out right there. Here's Jesus' words and that's that, a good answer. Um, the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses for making Jesus known. I think this is a really big deal because a lot of times we tend to separate this from this and I think maybe even in our Western culture, <laughs> church mindset, we'll pray for the Spirit to come 
and we'll pray for the Spirit's power for a lot of things other than this. God, we've decided that that we're going to do these things. Like, here's our programs, here's our agenda, here's our focus. Will you please pour your spirit out and bless this? Hey, God, we've got this building project, and we're going to try to build a big kingdom right here for us. Will you please bless that? Will you please, will your spirit move and let this happen? And I feel like his answer from Acts 1 on is, that's not why I give my spirit to the church. I give my spirit for something bigger than that, bigger than your programs bigger than your church, bigger than your facilities. I give my spirit for the purpose of making Jesus known. You want to make disciples? I'll give you my spirit for that. You want to make the believers who are already gathering in this church, do you want them to know Jesus more, to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, to learn the truth about Jesus? I give my spirit for that. Do you want to reach people who don't know Jesus at all and introduce them to Jesus and declare Jesus and make Jesus known? I give my spirit for that that the power of the Holy Spirit is given for the purpose of making Jesus known, always. And as a word of challenge for us, maybe sometimes while we, the reason why we don't experience like a real flood of the power of the Spirit is because we're not focused on the purpose of making Jesus known. That we're over here playing in our own little pools and streams that we've created, and God's like, no, the, the, the current of my river, like my spirit, the full power of my spirit always flows toward Jesus, always about making Jesus known. And if you want to jump in that river, I will sweep you along as fast as I can. But if you stay over here, that power will never flow over here. If you keep building your little kingdoms, it's not for that. It's for Jesus and his kingdom. So the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers people for making Jesus known. What else do you see in this chapter? God's timing and God's plan are perfect. All right, tag on to it. And it's not for us to know His timing. This is good. Instead, like when Jesus, Jesus pulls them away from this focus on, they're saying, you know, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, in other words, you know, is this your plan? Is this what you're going to do? Is this your timing? Is your plan to restore the kingdom of Israel, and are you going to do it right now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know that, but here's why. You're going to receive power, here's the but. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Every, you know, locally, here's your city, here's your region, here's the region closest to you after that, and then the ends of the earth. And he's saying, here's why it's not for you to know his timing, because I've got something else for you to be focused on. Make me known. <laughs> it's not for us to know his timing, because he's calling us to make him known. That, that that is our focus. That's what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. What else stands out to you? That one hopped out to me as I was reading out loud this morning. God knows our hearts. And the place it jumped out to me was down here when they're picking the, the disciple, the apostle to replace Judas. And they pray. Um, there it is. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen. Like God and also, by the way, God alone. Right? None of the other apostles assumed, well, we've been with Jesus for three years and he's called us to do this and I'm a really important leader now in a really important position of authority and so here's what I think about your all's hearts. They didn't do that, right? They said, God, you're the only one who can really know who it's supposed to be. 
You, you see all of our hearts, and you know which one you have chosen for your purposes, your reasons, that we can't see, that we can't, all this stuff that you just told us, hey, by your authority, you know that, and we don't. That includes who he's going to call to do what, what positions he's going to place each person in, that this is how God works in his church, that, that first of all, he's the one who makes these choices, and he's the one that has the, the plan and the purposes and the intentions, and, and we swoop in so much of the time with our plans and our purposes and our intentions, and we start looking at people like, hey, they'll fit really well with what I want to get done. Ooh, they, they, their gifts are really good for that. I want to accomplish this here, and let's get them plugged in here. Instead of saying, God, you know, and it's your church, and we want you to build it. And you put people, you gift people, you call people, and you place them where, and we want to live like in this place of continual humility and faith and dependence before you, where we're constantly asking you. You lead us, you show us, you guide us, you place people, you build your church. What else do you see? Anything about us that you want to add? <laughs> we are constantly losing focus. It's so true. Like Jesus isn't even gone yet. <laughs> and they're already drifting away from what he's telling them to do, and he's having to call them back again. And that is why, listen, that's why week after week after week it is good for us to gather. As much as I challenge us and I say, what God is giving you during this time, the intention is that we would all take that and that we would do exactly what he's saying here, that with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we would go and be the people of God in the world and we'd make Jesus known. And as much as I challenge us to go and do that, and I'll say it again today, that is why Jesus has built his church. Right? I mean, from day one, from, not even from day one, like from day negative ten, this is the, Jesus goes up into heaven 10 days before the church is born. So from day negative 10 already, he's saying, this is what my church is going to be doing. That's absolutely what he's calling us to do. But as much as I would say that, he also does call us to gather for the purpose of building each other up and encouraging one another and reminding each other of the truth. Because all of us, we are prone to wonder just so quickly, so quickly, so quickly, every week, day after day after day, unless we're being constantly called back to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who Jesus calls us to be and the truth of who Jesus makes us and the truth of what it looks like to really follow Jesus. So that that's why, that's also why it's not enough, as important as it is for us to come together every week and to be reminded and to remind each other and to, to see these truths together and to speak into each other's lives, that's also not enough because you will wander faster than one week from now. Like If you aren't doing this on your own by tomorrow, your heart's already drifting by tomorrow. I guarantee it. Like If we aren't continually reminded, hearing from God in his word, spending time in prayer, like if we aren't constantly coming back, it's, it's like as soon as we aren't being deliberately reminded of who Jesus is and who he calls us to be and how he lives in us and works in us, we start drifting back to what's just natural for us. And there's this supernatural work that takes place every time you're encountering God in his word where he's pulling us back, pulling us back, reminding us, reminding us, helping us refocus. And and it's not something, like the answer sometimes, like I, what I want to do with something like that is I'm going to say, okay, so how do I stop losing focus? Like how do I fix this thing in me? Give me the solution I won't lose focus anymore. And that's not how it works. Not in our finite, fallen, broken human state. That you're not going to have a one-time solution where it's like, okay, Jesus has told me this, I've downloaded it into me, and here I am forever. Because he doesn't want you to be fixed that way. Because that doesn't require ongoing dependence on him. It doesn't require an ongoing relationship with him. The answer is not, how do I stop losing focus? The answer is, how do I constantly keep refocusing? How do I refocus every day, every moment? What is it? You know, it's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God. It's this constant life with God where we are encountering in, in his Word on our own, in small groups with other people, in a large group setting, that we're constantly having the Word of God poured into us and the Spirit of God living in us and working in us and reshaping us like this over and over and over. And we're acknowledging, hey, I am so weak and needy and dependent that if I don't do this all the time, losing focus, constantly drifting, 
focused on the wrong things. I need to be pulled back all the time. And we're confessing that and we're coming to God and saying, this is who I am and I need you. Keep healing me. Keep changing me. Keep working in me. Otherwise, I'm going to constantly lose focus. I need you all the time. What else? Yeah, Jesus is really, really clear to them here. Like, here's what's going to happen. My Holy Spirit's going to come on you for the purpose of giving you power. Like, you need power for what I've called you to do. And when I give you that power, the purpose of that power is to make me known. Now, he hasn't, just like we saw in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, Jesus has not been unclear. (laughs) He's not left us to guess what his church should be or what it should look like. But we do so quickly lose focus on that. And we, oh, I think this would be a good idea. Let's do this. Let's add this. Yeah, yeah, I know he said that. But also, don't we need to do this and this and this? And no. This is his church. And this is what he's doing with his church. And he has a worldwide mission to shape the rest of of history by his church until he returns. Listen, there's not time for anything else. There's nothing else that compares or matters like this. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven with all power and all authority given to him, and he has given that power to his church to accomplish his purposes on earth, and someday he is coming back to bring all this to completion. There's nothing else for us to be doing. Like, nothing matters like this. And he's been really, really clear about it. And as Tyson's got me talking there, it, just, it reminded me a lot of a couple things that I'd noticed as I was reading this week, and so they tie in well to what we're talking about right now, so I want to point a couple of them out to you. The very first thing, back here in the first verse, I'm sure a lot of you know this, but when he says, in the first book, do you know what book that is that this author of Acts is referring to? Somebody say it. Yeah, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And so we actually looked at the Gospel of Luke a couple years ago uh, with Michael. And so Luke is also writing Acts. But one of the most interesting things to me, when he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. If you think about the Gospel of Luke, do you know what part of Jesus' life it covers? Yeah. He starts with the birth of Jesus goes through all of Jesus' life and ministry, the death of Jesus, and then even the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, everything Jesus did on earth, Luke covers. But Luke calls that all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I think this is really, really significant for understanding the book of Acts and for understanding the church. If all of Jesus' life on earth was just what he began to do and teach, What Luke is implying here is then the whole book of Acts, even though Jesus has already gone up into heaven within just the first 14 verses, the whole book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach. That when you read the book of Acts, this is not the Acts of the Apostles. And, you know, sometimes we even, like, expand the title to call it that. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of Peter and John. It's not the Acts of Paul. This is still the Acts of Jesus. Like we've, we've shifted now from Jesus being physically present in a body on earth and, and doing ministry as that human being to Jesus is present in his body, the church now on earth, and he's doing his work through the church so that first of all to see this is still the work of Jesus. This is, Jesus is the one doing this. But then also this, just this great thought of the things that the church does Like when we are really doing the work of Jesus, we have the presence and power of Jesus himself doing that through us. Doing that. He's not called you to do this on your own. That's the other thing that really stands out to me right here to connect that thought, all that Jesus began to do and teach. He says, look, I'm calling you to do something. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And he's talking to people. Remember, he's talking to fishermen and tax collectors. Like 
people who had no religious training, no significant economic or political standing, no power whatsoever from a worldly perspective, people who would probably be born, live, and die and spend their whole lives in Israel. And he's saying, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is something they never would have been able to do. That there's no way that this little ragtag bunch of disciples is going to build a worldwide church. It's just not going to happen. Except you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus gives them exactly what they need to do what he's called them to do. Jesus gives us what we need to be his church. He's not coming to you saying, hey, what are your resources? What do you have to offer me? What, what, what talents and abilities and skills and power and influence can you bring to my church? Because otherwise I don't know how I'm going to get this thing done. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you bunch of people of nobodies, <laughs> you, you people who could never ever do this, I want you. I pick you. I choose you. And now here, I give to you. I give you my spirit. I give you my power for my purposes. Here's why you can be my church. Here's why you can make this happen. Here's why you can do this, because I will give it to you. I will do it for you. I will do it in you. He's really clear on what the church is supposed to be, and then he says, and I'll give you everything you need to be that. And maybe that means, again, as a challenging application for us, if we feel like we don't have everything we need, maybe it's because we're not being what Jesus has called us to be. Like maybe we're trying to do other things. He's like, I'm not, I'm not giving you resources for that. I'm not giving you power for that. I'm not giving my spirit for that. But for this, be my church who makes me known to the ends of the earth. That and nothing else. What else stands out to you? For us or application to your heart, anything you want to add? Still pray for more? Crave more. Like other than what he gives us or more of what he's given us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, he, so what Eric said was even though God gives us everything we need, we still tend to crave more you know, or want more. And, and it is, it's, it's the same thing of how easily we lose focus. Of Jesus has said, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is who I'm calling you to be. And I'm going to give my spirit and my power for that. And it ought to be, you know, at that point, and listen, none of us do this. Let's just let's be honest about all of our own hearts. But it ought to be at that point, if Jesus has said that, we're going to say, okay, that's it. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what it's all about. But, but the disciples, they're immediately sitting there, first of all, like, well, what about this? <laughs> and then also, even when he you know, goes up in heaven, it's like, where'd you go? He's like, no, I promised you my spirit. <laughs> and the angels have to come already and give him this reminder. Hey, why are you still looking up into heaven? Like, he's going to come back someday, but that's not what he's talking about right now. Like, there is, there is still a lot of that in there where it's just, they're still learning what it really looks like to focus on Jesus and follow Jesus and be completely about Jesus and trust Jesus completely. Um, and so one of the things that stands out to me really tied into that here in, in verse 8, when he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses, it reminded me again of what we saw back in Matthew 16. We, I called it then gospel truth of who Jesus is. You know, and he was saying, like, the foundation for the church, the very first time Jesus mentioned it was this declaration, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God the truth of who Jesus is. And he's like, that, that's the rock on which I'll build my church. And so here today we see again, like he's getting ready to start building his church. And he's like, when I give spiritual power to you, it's still for this same purpose. You'll be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to declare who I am. That the church receives power to declare who Jesus is and the church is built on the truth of who Jesus is. And then it stood out to me down here. And I just want you to, we're going to, I hope we'll keep seeing these connections to what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18. All these with one accord 
were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. And do you see already what we saw in Matthew 18, that they're starting to live out these gospel relationships where their lives are so intertwined that that they're coming together. and, And here Jesus has said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And he's made this promise, the Spirit's coming so that you can do it. But the Spirit's not here yet. Right? Not until Acts chapter 2, 10 days later, does the Spirit come. And so their response is, we're going to get together and pray. Like We're going to stay with one another. Those of us who know Jesus and have heard from Jesus, we're going to stay together and keep encouraging each other. Hey, this is what he said. Believe this. Believe this. Stay focused on this. Don't drift to something else. And let's just pray. We've got his promise. Let's pray like we believe the promise. And let's pray and let's ask him to do what he's promised. Ask him to give what he's promised that he's going to give. And I I wanted to ask us, just with this part here about the prayer, when you feel like Jesus has called you to do something that you cannot do, you know, when I stand up every week and I'm like, you can study the Bible this way on your own. God intends for you to have this type of relationship with him. And you can study the Bible this way with others. You can go and be the church in the world and make Jesus known. And you can sit down with people at work and in your neighborhood and your family, and you can say, can we, can we just pray together and ask God to teach us? And can we read part of the Bible together and ask, what's this teach about God? And let's, just, let's, let's see God together in his word. That, that's the extent of it. But I know that some of you feel this anxiety, insecurity. You, you feel overwhelmed. Like, that's, that's too much for me. Like, you know, what I think church is, we'll come to get together once a week and check off the box. This is what we were supposed to do, and that's what we did. And so when you feel like Jesus is calling you to do something that's too much for you, is your response to come up with the reasons why you can't do it and kind of sit in all the anxiety and worry and insecurity and then not do it, or is your response to pray? Like every time you feel like what Jesus has called me to do is too big for me, it's what grows out of you, I need other believers to pray with, that we would just pray that Jesus, he, he's promised that he will build his church. So I'm going to pray like he's going to build his church. I'm going to ask him to do, he's promised that he will give his spirit and his power for the purpose of making him known. So I'm going to ask him to do that. And then I'm going to go live like I believe he's really doing it. Like, do we pray like we believe Jesus? Do we pray for the things that Jesus has promised? Do we pray that he will do what he said because we believe he can do it, he's promised he will do it, so he will do it. And so where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? I'm going to turn to him and I'm going to ask him and I'm going to trust him. And then we're going to see him do it. The other thing that stood out to me, and I think this is a good, and we've talked about it a little bit, but this is a good application for us is one of the things I hear right here with the disciples, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I know we've talked about this from several different angles, but this is them saying, hey, are you going to do for us what we want you to do for us? Like we've been waiting. We've been waiting for a thousand years for Israel to be as significant as it was when David was king. And our thought's always been the Messiah is going to make Israel again this worldwide power the way it was. So, and their focus is just on Israel. Right? Even after all of Jesus' ministry and all the things he said and, and did that was blowing up the only Israel view. But after all that, that's still where they are. And notice that his answer isn't just, hey, you don't understand God's time and plans. But his answer is also, I'm going way, way bigger than what you're asking me about. No, not just Israel, because I'm not just God of Israel. The whole earth is mine. I'm God of the whole earth, and I came to rescue the whole earth. I'm not calling you to just a kingdom in Israel. I'm calling you to the kingdom of God that will reach the ends of the earth. And so the application that I wanted us to think about this morning, think bigger than you. Because, you know, we don't have the same background and the same culture as these Jews here in the first century. And so for most of us, the, the question we're not asking is, when's he going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But a lot of times I think in our, our North American church growth culture, we've substituted 
our church for Israel. Like, God, are you going to build your kingdom right here? Can we, can we build this kingdom? Like, how many people can we cram in to one spot? And how big of a facility can we get? And how, how busy can we get with programs right here? Like, will you build your kingdom right here? And God's saying, I don't care how big it gets right here. It'll never be nearly as big as what I want to do. <laughs> you can't reach the ends of the earth right here. Like, it has to be something beyond here. Something This is part of the ends of the earth. You know, we're not Jerusalem, we're not Judea, we're not Samaria. When Jesus talks about the ends of the earth, one of the places he's talking about, Tennessee, the United States, right? Hermitage and Old Hickory and Mount Julia. Like, we're the ends of the earth in Acts 1. So it's a great thing that the gospel's here and the church is here because what Jesus said, it's happening. It's the only reason we know who he is. Because some of his apostles and disciples and followers listened to him and were filled with his spirit and started making him known. And this thing started spreading just the way Jesus said it would. And he's building his church just the way he said he would. And that's why it finally made it here to you and me. But listen, it didn't start with us. It didn't start here. It's not about us. And it doesn't end with us. And if we grab it and we turn it into something that's just about us right here and we make it that small, it doesn't look anything like what Jesus said or what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years. It has to be bigger than us. It has to be beyond us. It has to call us outside of ourselves. He's calling us like, to lift up our heads and look up to him and say, this is who you are. You are the king of all. You are God over all. And it's your intention for your kingdom to reach all. If I'm going to follow you, that's what my life is about. That's what you're calling me to do. And that is why, like week after week, that I, and some of you, I know some of you are like already tired of me here, and you're like, I'm just not going to do that. But it's why I'm hammering. This has to be reproducible. This can't be something where you come here and somebody stands up here, whether it's me or somebody else, and says a bunch of stuff and you get information in your head and that's where it ends. The reason it can't be that is because that's not what Jesus calls his church to be. That's not what Jesus calls his church to do. And it is Jesus' church. He gets to say, and this is what he said. Like for you to be able to walk out this week and say, I've got the Spirit of God. I've got the word of God. That's all I need to be the people of God, on mission with God, to build the kingdom of God in the world. Like th This is what Jesus has promised, and this is what he's called us to do. And if we believe him in this, he will give us everything we, we need, and he will do what he said. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. It's the only reason you've ever heard of him, because he's done exactly what he said. And he wants to keep doing it. Now, this is what he began to do and teach. Now he's continuing to do it in his people, and he wants us to be part of that. He's calling us to be part of that. And so not for our little kingdom here, but for his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Think bigger than yourself. Think bigger than this church. Think bigger than this country. Right? The kingdom of God is bigger than the United States of America ends of the earth. And as I was working on this this week, I got a, first I got an email and then I ended up getting to have a Zoom call on Friday that really, really encouraged me. Uh, this is what God's doing. I wanted to share this with you. you know, a couple months ago, if you were here, uh, the end of May, we had a, a missionary couple from Peru uh, who have become friends of mine, Faith and Miguel Saxara, who came and shared with the church about their ministry there and and what was going on, and they were asking for prayer support and financial support, and they were about to head back to Peru, and they, they primarily used soccer as a means of reaching a lot of unreached villages and towns, and, and they reached all these kids, and they're able through the kids to reach families, and then they try to connect them with lots of local churches in the different regions where they're working, but Miguel emailed me this week, and first of all, this first part's really good news, but it's, it, it's a problem, but it's the type of problem you want to have. They've been back for about a month, and he basically said, the ministry is exploding. God is bringing so many kids, so many families, that we don't know what to do with all of them. 
And, and you, know, that's, you want to have that problem, but he was really serious because it's not just about what, how many number, what's the biggest numbers we can get, how many people can we get, how, what can we send in our newsletter. We, he was saying, but we want to make sure that we're discipling all of them. And we're, the, the local churches aren't either aren't ready or aren't equipped to disciple all these kids that we're sending to them. And so they had been here on a Sunday morning. He was like, so I would like to talk to you about that text method that you all have been using. He's like, can we set up a time for us to do that together so that we can start training all of our leaders? I want to train all of our coaches and our leaders in a, a Bible study method like that, and hopefully we can help the churches so that we're ready to disciple all these kids. That it has to be something reproducible. And what he actually said to me, this was, he's like, we don't have time to send everybody off to three years of seminary before they can be allowed to teach somebody else. <laughs> and it's exactly right. Like, it's exactly what Jesus was doing here. I'm going to give you my spirit and you'll have my word. Now you go be my witnesses. And it just encouraged me because it was like when God moves, when God really moves, we don't have time to do things like in our official ordered way. When God really moves, either the spirit and the word will be enough or we won't be able to keep up. And so he and I talked on Friday and we're going to text together a couple more times uh, over about the next month. And I'm just going to ask, like, would you be praying for what's happening right now? in their ministry, and in Peru. Like, I hope that it would excite our hearts to think that is the kingdom of God expanding. That's disciples being made. That's the church being built. And maybe none of those kids are ever going to set foot in this building. Maybe we're, but it, it's not about getting them here. It's about us going to the ends of the earth. And God has given us one connection with the ends of the earth. And we should celebrate that. And then also, I want us to bring it back to us and say, what if God were to do that here? Are we ready as a church for God to send us more kids, more families, more people than our current structure could handle? Are enough of us being discipled and growing as disciples and being equipped that we could say, yeah, send us 2,000 people? Because you know what? We've got 200 people that are ready to disciple a group of 10 because here's what we know to do. We're going to pray together, we're going to read the Bible together, and we're going to ask what's that teach us about God. And every single person who's been coming, we've had that poured into us, and we're ready to pour that out to others. Are we ready for God to move and work in that way? Because we would say that's what we want to see him do. Right? The stuff that's about to happen, you know, when you turn the page from Acts 1 this week to Acts 2 next week, those 120 believers in Acts 1 become 3,000 in Acts 2. And we, all, we want to see that. But how does Jesus do that? He sends his spirit. And his people declare his word. And he builds his church. That's how he does that. I feel certain. If that's not what we do, he won't do that here. Does that make sense? Like if we don't do this the way that he has said he's going to do it, he's not going to do that here. <laughs> But I also feel certain that he's given us everything that we need. And this is who he's calling us to be. And this is what he's calling us to do. That he's made a grand promise. In Matthew 16 and 18, it was, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Like all the power and authority of the kingdom of God, I'll hand it to you in the gospel. You speak gospel truth. You live out gospel relationships. The way that he says that in Acts 1 is, I will send my Holy Spirit with my power to empower you to be my witnesses. Like, do you hear that the whole thing's about him? His spirit, his power, his, he's the message, and he's the means. Right? He gives us the power to do it, and when he gives us his power, it's to make him known. It's always about Jesus and nothing else. It's his kingdom, not ours. And so... As we start working through Acts over these next few weeks, I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying that this is what Jesus will do in us. That Jesus, this is what Jesus will do here through Friendship Community Church. And I, I'm going to ask you, would you be praying that with me? Would you seek God and his word and ask for him to pour out his spirit for this purpose? That he would build his church this way? And that he would transform us. That he would revolutionize maybe even the typical way that we think about church. 
and that he would launch us, that he would send us. Like, I would love to get six months from now, a year from now, and we could point out just in this room and we could say, yeah, God called this family to this country. God called this family here. God used this family to, to start a house church in this neighborhood. God called this family to start this Bible study group there. And we could point to all these places we're being sent. Here and there and there and the ends of the earth. And that we could look around and say, we're not trying to hoard people and hoard resources here on this campus. We want to be where Jesus has called us to be. We want to go where Jesus calls us to go. We want to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is what he's called us to do. And so I'm going to ask you to be praying that with me. And I want you to know, like, I really am praying that God would open our eyes to see this and he would soften our hearts to believe this. And that he would keep doing what he's always been doing for 2,000 years. That he will build his church. That we will be his church. That we'll be what Jesus says by the power of Jesus' spirit for the purpose of making Jesus known and making disciples of Jesus. So will you pray that with me right now? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you for your goodness and your grace that every single thing you have ever called us to do or to be, that you have given us what we need as a gift from you. Thank you for the promise of Jesus and the power of Jesus' spirit to make him known and build his church. Please, Father, do this in our hearts. I pray that you will stir up inside of us a hunger and a passion and a desire to be this church, to be the church of Jesus. And that you would empower us and that you would lead us and that you would call us out for this purpose. May we know you and love you and trust you more. Please, just keep refocusing our hearts and our minds on you. Draw us back to you day by day and moment by moment. And use us to make Jesus known. Use us to make disciples. Use us to build your church as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.